0: RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 756, IT in 2021, recorded Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by SoundThoughts, LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio, and Happy New Year. Here we are in 2021. Can't believe we made it. So about a year ago, I recorded a show. Uh, at January 1st, 2020 was when it published. And at that time I was thinking in terms of the next 10 years that we'd rolled over to a new decade and that it was time to, uh, to look forward. What's going to be different. And of course I get to spend a lot of time talking to folks about what they're building and where they're going and what new technologies are coming down the pipeline that are going to influence all of us. But uh, clearly every plan I made in the context of Jan, 2020 was blown out of the water shortly thereafter. I recorded that show in December. And at that time, COVID-19 was purely something over in China that wasn't going to come here. Anyway, we all know what actually happened. And uh, that spawned a lot of things. Uh, An adjacent story is my uh, April 1st show. So I was kind of excited that April 1st was following on a Wednesday, the usual day for publishing run as. And so I had actually was planning an April Fool's Day show. And, uh, somewhere in the middle of March, I had to get down to really recording it, but by the middle of March, nothing was funny. And instead I made the show IT in the pandemic, just my thoughts on what I was focused on dealing with the pandemic and the folks that I know that are running infrastructure for people and that are dealing with the different issues. And that show turned out to be very popular and it actually spawned a series. From then on, pretty much, on Fridays, we put out a separate episode specifically dealing with pandemic topics. And this is also a Friday show, which is why we get to do January 1st again. It's also the last of the pandemic series because over the course of a year of talking about this, a huge array of topics, I mean, starting with simple things like scaling out your VPN and and in general dealing with working from home and how that migrated into moving more stuff into the cloud and how do we take load off the VPN for that and what apps work well and what don't and conversations around virtualization and ultimately spun up into this whole topic of the modern workplace, which I don't know, is almost becoming cliche, but at the same time it also brought clearly the light to me that this is the new way we're working now. And so a year into the pandemic, even though it's far from over, granted, we can see the ends over there with the vaccines starting to roll out. I can't tell the difference between pandemic shows and non pandemic shows anymore. The work is basically the same. And so this is the new place we find ourselves in. And I thought it'd be useful at the beginning of the year to sort of run down all of these ideas and take a look at uh, where we got to. And I think we already opened this basic conversation now that. There's no difference between pandemic shows and regular shows because things like work from home are now routine and, and normal. Now, lots of folks were already working from home before this happened, but the expansion of work from home is astonishing. The conversations I was having with IT folks were, were pretty consistent. They were, well, we had a pilot of work from home folks. It was only for folks that went on maternity leave or it was salespeople that are often out of the office anyway. Anyway, it was two percent of the company and suddenly it was had to be 95 percent of the company and so the infrastructure that was good enough for the experiment of the small number of people wasn't good enough in the large scale circumstances and it's also when we found out that there's kind of a limit to what you can do with vpns and you start to have this conversation about what the shape of work looks like what should go through vpn what can be moved to the cloud what can't really do either. I mean, one of the themes I heard over and over again, especially for IT folks, is like, oh yeah, everybody else went home for work, but we can't do that. I still need to tend my servers in person. And is that really necessary? When do we get to work remotely as well? Uh, The reshaping of the app suite seemed to tie into this very well too, that you start to scrutinize those app suite. Because now that you put a new stressor on it, software that was built internally or was bought and deployed internally having to work remotely had a set of problems. Do we upgrade to the SaaS version if that's an option? Uh, can we? Does it work well on a laptop or other devices? Does the remote pipe work okay for it? Or do we have to do something more creative? And uh, I really enjoyed the shows we did in 2020 around the new virtual desktop tools as, a, as an idea of a way to tackle badly behaved software, software that needs to live uh, still closely coupled, but the user themselves is not closely coupled. So we've, we've sort of expanded an array of different options here. And as this pandemic winds down, we got to decide what was just an acceleration of what we were planning on doing to our company anyway, and what was uh, temporary. And I, I think the work from home thing's not going to go away. I think that's an ongoing uh, exercise no matter what. And More and more seeing this four days at home, one day in the office. And that begs a logical question, which is, do you really need dedicated workspace if you're a worker that only comes into that office one day a week? Probably not. It's not an efficient use of space and it's expensive does it make more sense to switch over to huge blocks of of hot desks? Like, why are folks coming into the office at all? And when they do, what do they want to do and how do we optimize space for them? And more importantly, how do we optimize the technology for them as well? The idea of building pods of uh, hot desk space. So the idea that a team comes in one day a week to collaborate with each other. So they want to sit together, although these days it seems like they don't want to sit too close together but are only going to use that space once a week. So it's not really theirs. It's a hot desk. Should they all bring laptops in? Does that make sense? Or does it make sense to have machines that they can simply place their identities on? The kiosk computer, uh, not just a hot desk, but a hot PC as well. So that when you sit down, you can plug your identity in. Your stuff's available on that machine for the time that you're working there that day. And then when you leave, the machine resets for the next person. Now, we may or may not do this, and I'm going to quote Dwight D. Eisenhower here when I say that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. And that's the way I'm thinking about this particular exercise right now is sooner or later, we're going to have to have a conversation about using the office. And there may be some folks who simply say, hey, it's time to come back into the office. We're going to work the way we used to. I don't know how well that's going to work. Maybe that'll happen in a few folks. But I suspect it's going to be pushed back on and there is going to be a demand for optimization. You're probably not going to make this decision one way or the other, but you're going to be involved in it. And hopefully you've spent more time involved in leadership conversations around the company this past year anyway. So having a plan around, could we put machines in place in a hostess area that can support that sort of kiosk mode where they reset to an agnostic state And then when users want to use them, it becomes their machine for the duration they use it. Totally achievable technology. You know the stuff is out there. It's an exercise in planning to know what you have to do for it. So that you have that plan in your pocket when the conversation comes up about, do we have to buy laptops for everyone so they bring them into the office every day? Or can they use their home machines at home and have PCs in the office for when they need to use them? That's just an opening topic in response to the pandemic and its current evolution. I did want to mention also that I found lots of IT folks that were talking about keeping their team healthy, that their concern was that since you have these super spreader events during the pandemic, that it would hit the entire IT team and what that would do to the organization. And so uh, teams tended to be isolated from each other. They, they were pretty careful about who was in and who was not in, who was available, who wasn't available, and keeping distance on all of them. Uh, and that put a lot of stress on us. But certainly it was a, an achievable set of work. And uh, it is interesting to think about that going forward, that more and more I'm concerned about who has unique knowledge in your head that exists nowhere else, even that we may not all know it, but that we know there's a place where we can get it, a sort of break class in case of emergency, uh, that surfaced in the disaster response, disaster recovery planning, uh, over the course of the pandemic that we definitely need to be sure we know where everything is at. I wanted to poke at my own predictions for the 2020 show. Now, admittedly, in the 2020 show, I was talking about the next decade in IT. So I have a 10 year time horizon and we're only one year into it. Uh, and so it's easy to be right. Uh, because you always have that, it hasn't happened yet, kind of mindset. But there's a few things that were obvious. So let's start with 5G networking. Uh, in 20, the, at the beginning of 2020, it was at its infancy. I think it still is in its infancy. There's a few more handsets out there. There's a bit more technology out there. But for the most part, not a lot has happened uh, in the 5G space. I would argue, especially up north here in Canada, that Starlink is more interesting. That SpaceX's... Uh, satellite-based internet access is more on the radar, even though it's only in beta, for folks that are working in very remote locations uh, where cell coverage is terrible. You're not even talking about 5G. You're lucky if you get three. But the fact that there's now satellites buzzing overhead, especially in the north, opens the door to reasonable amounts of bandwidth. Starlink is not lightning fast, but it's real connectivity. Uh, We did a show about IPv6 and one of the interesting impacts of the pandemic was that IPv6 utilizations through the roof, mostly because people are working from home and home ISPs have done a better job of deploying IPv6 infrastructure than corporate infrastructure. So we reshaped the load on the internet and possibly in a very constructive way, there's a lot of bandwidth available through homes that was more of a constrained resource when everybody's in an office. So, That's an interesting benefit uh, for our utilization of the network, for our organizations, the fact that we push more onto the cloud, we're counting on people's home internet, your own backbone infrastructure is nowhere near as much in demand. It'll be interesting to see how quickly we start to right-size that as contracts come back up, as the pandemic winds down and we try to decide, do we need as much pipe as we had? Uh, Can we dial some things down? Can we adjust the pricing around all of that? I talked a bit about Moore's Law last year and and the idea that Moore's Law is kind of coming to an end, largely because we're getting to the point where the transistors are so small inside of integrated circuits now that we're running out of, of atoms, that quantum tunneling effects are hard to control. Now, we didn't hit the limit this year, and we weren't expected to. That's sometime in the next 10 years, 2025, 2027, nobody's really sure. But it is interesting to see how much Intel struggled in 2020. And lots of companies blame pandemics for their problems this past year, and I don't know that it's true. Uh, AMD's been making some good chips. I don't know that I want them in my desktops in my offices yet, and we don't have to make that decision. To me, the far... Bigger issue or surprise was Apple starting to make its own silicon as well with the M1. It really speaks to the idea that I talked about last year that we're going to see innovation at the silicon level because that tick-tock stride that Intel's always promoted that every year to 18 months, you're going to get a denser chipset or you're going to have a revised chipset taking advantage of that density has definitely fallen off. They've struggled to maintain that. And as long as the TikTok was working, it was hard to argue with making something else. If you knew you were going to get a substantial improvement in silicon every 18 months, why do something else? But now that you can't count on that, you are seeing companies going to alternative architectures, doing this diversity on the silicon side. And largely from an IT perspective, that's not a big deal for us. If you're managing these new Macs in the office on the M1 chipset, you're going to run into a few problems, but not as many as you'd think for totally different architecture. For the most part, operating systems and modern programming environments, whether that be Java or .NET or any other runtime-based system, can tolerate a change in hardware. So for the most part, our software just works unless it's really legacy. Uh, then, then suddenly the virtualization options make a heck of a lot more sense. We talked about artificial intelligence last year and we should talk about it this year. I actually feel like the past year was not a great year for AI tech as a whole. Sure, the researchers were still doing their research, but AI still very much falls into that category of it's an experimental project. Uh, you know, my my line has been, you call it artificial intelligence when it doesn't work. As soon as it does work, you give it a new name, right? It becomes speech systems and vision systems and predictive analytics. Uh, as long as it's AI, it's still trying to figure out a home. It's a solution looking for a problem. And the bigger thing that come out of this year that I think is also going to impact the coming year and the year after is we're having serious economic impacts due to the pandemic. And that's generally meaning we're going to have to be more efficient, with expenses. And AI projects tend to be experimental. They tend to be exploratory projects. And that's not a bad thing. But with the focus, the reordering of the priority list to things that made an immediate difference during the crisis, like cloud migration slash digital transformation, a lot more energy went into that because it had very clear ROI. And AI projects don't have as clear ROI. And if you do have clear ROI, that's awesome. In fact, it's one of the strengths I think we can bring to the table as IT people to say, how does this benefit the company? How does this provide organizational value? How does this help my customer? And once we know those things, we can sort of build a budget around it. We can spend more on it. I think the sensitivity to ROI is only going to go up in 2021, that we work on projects that have clear, immediate returns maybe a little less thinking in the long term and a little less in the exploration side. And since the AI projects mostly fall in that category until they're very well rendered, until you get down to the sort of predictive analytic models that you know provide value. And suddenly that ROI is clear, you stop using the AI name, you use a different name, and that project's probably going to go ahead just fine. And with that, let's take a brief break. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open-source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects, called Two Weeks Ready, helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S.-registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell flying solo on Run As Radio, talking a bit about what IT looks like in the coming year. And Happy New Year to you. I hope everything is well and you're functioning well. Uh, This is the end of the pandemic series. We are going to go back to one show a week, uh, mostly because I couldn't sort out the difference between pandemic shows and regular shows. They seem to be the same sort of thing. If there's any one big piece of news that came out of 2020 uh, besides the pandemic, it is the increasing issues around cybersecurity. Uh, Let's speak realistically here. Ransomware is growing for a simple reason. It's profitable. There is a set of black hat organizations out there, criminals, let's not hide what it is, that have found a way to make money with encrypting data and holding it hostage ransomware and with targeted phishing attacks. Those seem to be the two largest vectors and they certainly uh, are growing for the simple reason that they work and we are vulnerable. You, li- If you're listening to the 2020 shows, you know we said this over and over again that ransomware more and more is targeting administrator accounts. They're after us. And so, Utilization of these administrator accounts represents a vulnerability. Use them as little as possible. I think we're seeing a cultural shift in IT to really focus on this idea that you should live as a domain user the majority of the time that you're on your network. Uh, It was a great line that I heard that was like, there's no point where you should be surfing the web or reading email that isn't in a domain user account you know that you should get to the point where you're only using administrator accounts for specific administrative tasks and nothing else need to have a web page open to be able to check some notes while you're doing work on an admin account do that on your tablet keep the two separate that's where the attacks come through is those phishing vectors and so the less we do in our admin accounts the better we do and the less rights our admin accounts have the better they are we've done a pretty good job of locking down the domain user account. So take advantage of it. Protect yourself with it. Don't be the vector. Don't be responsible for that particular aspect. And the cyber insurance market grew substantially in 2020, up over 20%. They figure it'll be close to $10 billion this year. Now, I don't know that cyber insurance makes sense for you or for me, but for certain organizations, the bulk of them that seem to be like 25% of the market now is coming out of healthcare. Because healthcare took a beating this year. Not only were they dealing with the pandemic, but the attacks focused on them because they were so desperate, because they were so busy, they would tend to pay ransoms. And so, cyber insurance is a mechanism to help protect you from that. We. Did a show with Dave Koula coming up. You're going to hear uh, the experience he had uh, dealing with a cyber uh, attack that used an insurance claim and what the insurance actually looks like, what they're willing to do for you. I do expect ransomware attacks to innovate, uh, that they're going to come up with new vectors, especially with the targeted phishing attacks. You know, targeted phishing right now, you're seeing organizations. They get into the email chain. They figure out what the hierarchy is. They impersonate CFOs to demand immediate payments and the money just disappears into the ether. Right now, they're doing that through email. With the technology that's out there today, how much longer before it's voicemail or even video? What if it was a deepfake of your CFO saying, you need to do this for me right away? It does speak to this idea that we as security professionals in our organization as well need to press less on the technology and more on the policies as well. And that's an unusual thing for you to do, to go to the CFO and say, I need you to build a policy where there is a in-person or physical or face-to-face check-in before transactions go through. That's normally our place. Normally, we're just deploying the software and all this but I think it's going to become more and more important. We know multi-factor is essential. And I think the pandemic gave us a big boost on multi-factor simply because self-serve password changes and self-serve account recovery became vital and multi-factor is an important part of that. That idea that we were already uncomfortable because of the pandemic, so why not take advantage of that discomfort to add new things like multi-factor security made a lot of sense. And a lot of folks have moved that way. But to me, the biggest attack in 2020, the one that opened my eyes to are we thinking broadly enough, was right at the end of the year, which is attack on the U.S. government, clearly by state actors via the SolarWinds organization. And if you haven't read up on this, you, you need to. It's important in our profession to understand the scope of that attack. SolarWinds made software that ran on high security companies or high security organization machines so they already had a trust relationship with the significant branches of the u.s government and many other organizations and so they were the target of the state actor attack to push malware into those machines so rather than trying to fish those organizations directly to get software deployed something they were those organizations were clearly prepared to deal with instead they attacked this vendor that didn't think they were in as near as a high-security situation as they actually were, and then by completely subverting their software deployment process, were able to in, insert software into, the, into their program that then got pushed out, and now they're effectively operating malware on behalf of the, of the vendor and through these state actors. That's very clever. That defeats most of your checking systems. That software got changed exactly when it was supposed to be changed. The fact that there was malware in the software, you know, was unknown. It also says to me that if you're in an organization who who still feels like they're in the drive-by state, you know, most folks, they only want to be secure enough that the drive-by easy hit doesn't work out. That criminals looking for a quick steal, like criminals aren't after your car, they're after any car. And if your car's easy, they will take it same thing for most security. You're raising your security level to the point where you're not an easy mark and that should be good enough. But if you have customers that are high risk, that need high security, you are effectively on the high security list now. They will target you. They have targeted you. That's now a thing. And so we need to start thinking that way. And if you are one of those high security companies, if you are someone who is used to being targeted and well locked down, have you gone through your vendor list? And have you assessed your vendor's ability to protect themselves? And when you allow their software to enter your systems, do you have any ability to scrutinize that? One has to wonder, you know, could we have done better network protection? so that we can deal with the idea of the internal bad actor. We've talked about internal bad actors in the context of disgruntled employees, but a hijacked vendor's software? This is an interesting new vector. I'm sure it's existed before, but the SolarWinds incident has elevated this conversation, and it needs to be on your radar. I'm not saying you can defeat it today. I'm gonna go back to that. Your plan is probably incorrect, but planning is so useful. How would you defend against this attack? Work your way through it. You know, when would you detect it? What ability do we have to actually lock down on those particular things? Uh, a couple more topics. Uh, 2020 had was a great year for the low code, no code solutions. So whether you're using the power app stack or what Salesforce is doing, there are great products that are cloud centric that remind me of uh, the dev cycles that existed in the 90s. That is to say that we're seeing a new generation of quote-unquote programmers. Uh, of course, they, the, Microsoft likes the term citizen programmer. I think it's a terrible term. Uh, I prefer this idea of domain experts that start to create automation for themselves. Uh, to be able to do the job more effectively. And then that ability to create that automation becomes more valuable to the organization than the work they were originally doing. They are productivity amplifiers. This one person builds a set of automated forms in as a power app, and everyone in their entire division is more productive now. And so that value represents so much more than the line work they were doing. And so they pour themselves into that. We've always known this about software. But what I'm seeing with these new tools is that they're not of big interest to traditional programmers, to your on-staff dev. They've got their tools, and they don't need these tools. What it is is a new generation of software developers, even if they don't necessarily call themselves that. They're domain experts that are doing automation, and it's useful for us to support them. They're going to get a lot done in very little time. They have domain expertise, so they know their way around a workflow in general. And this tooling's getting good enough. What they are going to need is some governance. Well, how do they get rights to certain restricted resources? How do they follow proper security policies? They're not going to know these things. They're going to run into them. Can we build infrastructure for them, make it easier for them to do that? Do we just have those conversations? You may even encounter resistance around all this. That there is a tendency for for new creators of productivity like this to have a bit of a Dunning-Kruger effect where they don't understand what's hard and what's easy, what's insecure and what's secure. And at the same time, you have the existing cadre of folks who do know those rules and don't necessarily use these tools pressing against that and saying, hey, you know, you just say no, don't let them do it. It's going to cause too many problems. The productivity of these new generation tools cannot be denied. And if we can put them properly in the box, manage them well, they're incredibly valuable to the so Don't don't suppress them. Find a way to facilitate them. You're going to help the organization as a whole. We are amplifiers of those amplifiers when we do our jobs well. So that's going to help a great deal as well. Uh, I mentioned this at the top of the show, and I, I want to circle back on it because I think it's it's wildly important, which is the improvement of our disaster response infrastructures as a whole. If 2020 taught us anything, it's that we need to be able to respond to disasters, and sometimes our disasters are very long-running. Uh, and I hope you didn't have a major outage over the course of the last year. Of course, I always hope that. But it certainly... W- was interesting to look at under the stress of the new architecture, uh, architecture that we were building. If you did have an outage, if there were major problems there, and this keeping of secrets was a big one. Is how do we tolerate senior people not being available or can't be seen in person? Watching the help desk struggle because it, so much of it depended on the in-person interaction. That doing it over calls or doing it remotely was was much more difficult. Same for any workflow. There's a lot of workflows that were built for inside the office and suddenly they were outside the office. How do you do them securely? How do you validate identities in a useful way? How do you trust what's actually going on there? And when things go wrong, how do you compensate? Uh, My personal anecdotal story uh, that relates to this is uh, getting my wife to start using a password manager. Not that I was really worried about her passwords, although I am, and that's not a compelling argument, but it was this shared account problem beyond the what's the Netflix password. And then when you tell them it's a 20 character long random set of of digits and they get angry with you, actually having a shared repository of accounts that relate to the home as a whole uh, and our personal finances so we don't have to share accounts or count on each other to have accounts when there's only one account, it's in a place that everybody can access and the password can be changed without breaking things. This is true of organizations as well. What about your cloud uh, admin keys? Now, we know we shouldn't be using that most senior level account on a routine basis. So it better exist in a password manager because nobody should be able to memorize that or have any memory of it at all. In fact, it's in your best interest to have a set of accounts that you barely know exist. There's another way of using a password manager that I found really interesting, which is to say, what accounts do we have? Because even in your head, you're memorizing that you have these accounts. So. Where do we put accounts that we shouldn't necessarily remember they're there, but that we'll need them once in a while in in emergencies especially, and that there's one place to look for them that's very secure and keeps all that identity information in one place? We've seen these scrambles over the past year, and we're likely to see them again, that we don't know where the keys to the kingdom necessarily are. If a senior leader is out ill or, heaven forbid, passes away, What information goes with them? Where is that stored how is that protected? And that especially relies on IT. I've certainly spoken to organizations where they lost key people in the past year and with them went accounts that were very difficult to recover. It's in your best interest as a responsible IT person to make sure there's a session plan for you as well as your whole team. And I think that brought forward this past year, very challenging year all around. Uh, I hope my 2022 show is totally different that we get to the next level that the pandemic is behind us. We are working in this new way and it's all integrated together. And with that, I thank you so much for your time and thanks for listening to run as radio. The show wouldn't exist without you. Send us an email. If you'd like to talk further info at run Happy to chat. Always interested in your show ideas, what to make next. And I'll uh, talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio.